Wow, it's good to be here with you all today. I hope you're still basking in the glow or the halo from Easter with family and friends and food, hospitality being shared. It was a pleasure for my wife and I to drive down here today. You guys are a couple of weeks ahead of us just up the road in Plymouth with all the blossoms. The flowers and the shrubs and the trees are all blossoming and if you've got allergies, you have my empathy as well because my family get, gets that too. Um, just a couple of words of thanksgiving, Mel. I mean, Flo, it's so good to see you. Mel lives on in our hearts and minds. We look forward to right reunion day, don't we? We have that hope. Praise the Lord. And Herm, God makes everything beautiful in its time. I still say you're beautiful. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for the offering call. Okay. Um, something unexpected happened during uh, the children's story. It reminded me of, of something. We're told the story of that little girl. Won't it be nice to see her on the other side of eternity? We're not told her name. That little girl that served name in the general in Syria. Um, I happened to be way up in the mountains over in Switzerland as a newly minted Adventist. I haven't thought of this in 35 years. Um, sitting at a table with some friends breaking bread. And there's a young lady, and I'm 25 at the time. I'm guessing she was even younger than us. And everybody's eating and having a great time, but I'm the only one who's having a vegetarian meal. And as she's serving everyone, she discreetly comes up into my one good ear. Some of you know, <laughs> I don't hear very well. Um, and she whispers in my ear. Guess what she whispered in my ear? Adventist? You never know who's going to cross the path of your life on any given day, right? And here I am, halfway across the world, and this young lady recognizes me as an Adventist. Uh, she was an orphan, and that's why that story struck a chord with me from a war in another country, and Adra had rescued her, saved her life, and found her a home and a place to live and to serve now up in the mountains of Switzerland. Go figure that. Haven't thought of her in 35 years. I wonder if her ears are tingling right now. I wonder how she's doing. Uh, Joshua's invitation for us to invite the next generation to participate also struck a chord with me. I received a lesson in humility after spending, some of you know this story, 20 years in the sound booth doing audio and video for the college church up in South Lancaster. And here's how I know God has a sense of humor, right? I'm completely deaf in one ear, <laughs> and I'm, I'm responsible for the house sound. And once in a great while, everybody would turn around and look at me, and I knew that wasn't a good thing. But we would invite the young people to come with us, and the technology that's involved uh, would capture their interest in the fact that they could make everything seen and heard and broadcast it all around the world. Uh, really got a lot of those young people interested and helping to serve alongside of us. And it was a humbling experience for me because they taught me a lot too, right? Um, so everyone, thank you. And Theo, I can't begin without thanking you for Sabbath School and the Three Angels' messages and present truth for us here today. I'm going to thank our pastor for his Easter message on full of encouragement and hope for us that experience trials and temptations, right? Why bad things happen for, to good people. That was last Sabbath. He's going to finish part two of it next Sabbath. And sandwiched in the middle was my message, Refuge. So, um, Ethan, thank you for reading that scripture. 
Anybody remember when this scripture was written? We're going to be looking at the life of David today. Some 44 times, I think, in the Psalms, he refers to the word refuge, where he's either looking for refuge or praising God for having provided him with a refuge from the trials and temptations of the life that he, he lived. Anybody know how many books are devoted to David's life in the Scriptures? How many books record in the Old Testament? 66. No other human being is mentioned more than David besides Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, I think David is mentioned 50-some-odd times. And in fact, Jesus in Matthew 1.1 is referred to as the son of David, right? This young man who God himself says was a man after his own heart had such a checkered life, like all of us. We're all sinners, the same at the foot of the cross in need of a Savior. Yet despite all that, God didn't forsake him, right? God didn't uh, cast him out. But a thousand years after he lived, the Savior, our Savior, is referred to as the Son of David. There's great assurance for you and me that despite wherever life may take us, through the hills and valleys, ups and downs, and the good and the bad, that we have a Savior who's nigh at hand, who will never leave us or forsake us. So, where does the story begin? Have you and I ever wandered through a pasture of exclusion? A pasture of exclusion. What's going on in Israel a thousand years before uh, Jesus is born? In a little town called Bethlehem, by the way. It's been 300 years since the Exodus. Uh, Moses and Joshua and Caleb are part of ancient history now. They were able to get everybody out of the promised land except for three, three, three families, three tribes, three peoples. Uh, one of them in Gath, and we're going to get to that in a minute. And there's a family in this little, little town, Bethlehem, six miles south of Jerusalem, um, that's eking out an existence there while there, is, there are problems within Israel and certainly problems, threats without. And can we relate to that today as we look at our country and our leaders and the world? And can we relate to a nation that's facing some turmoil within and threats from without? What's going on in Israel right now with King Saul and everything that's going on there? It gets to the point where God himself goes to the prophet Samuel and tells him what? Saul's no longer my king. I need you to go to Bethlehem and anoint the person that's going to be the next king. And so, um, the prophet Samuel mourns for Saul, but he goes. And he shows up in Bethlehem, and we're going to be reading from Samuel here. First Samuel, if you want to turn to 16 and on as we look at David's life. He shows up at Jesse's home in Bethlehem and everybody's wondering why the prophet has come. And uh, he asks Jesse, I'd like to meet all your boys. Now, how many sons does Jesse have? Anybody remember? He has eight. But he only brings seven. David is out in the pasture of exclusion. His own daddy 
doesn't think enough of him to invite him in with the rest of the boys. You look at the Hebrew in this chapter, and if I can put on my glasses, I can read some of it with you. Hmm. So in 1 Samuel 16, one by one, Jesse brings all of his boys to Samuel. And Samuel looks at some of them. He says, wow, this, this could be the next king of Israel. And God says, no. Because where does God look? God looks on the heart. He's looking for someone who, ha who has a heart for God, who reflects the light of his love. And finally, here in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, verse 10 Samuel says to Jesse, are these all your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. In the Hebrew, that refers to the runt, the outcast, the nobody. Have you ever felt like a nobody? If you have, there's good news, isn't there, friends? Jesus identifies himself with the outcasts, with the nobodies. He says, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Wow. So this young lad, a teenager probably, is out there keeping the sheep. He's a shepherd. And Samuel says to Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down and break bread, share hospitality, until he comes hither. And so Jesse sends, verse 12, and they brought him in, and look, he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. The Hebrew there means he had bright eyes and clear vision. Hmm, interesting. In a teenager, no less. Now, I'm so glad that I had the privilege of living with some teenagers, my son and my daughter, for a while, so I knew that at least a couple of us in the house knew everything. <laughs> Sorry, kids, I was a teenager once, too. But David's cut from a different piece of cloth, as they say here. And the Lord said to Samuel, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Wow. Do you think David woke up that morning saying, Wow, I want to be king of Israel? Could he have imagined in his wildest dreams the prophet Samuel would show up in his town, at his home, just to see him? How about you and me with Jesus, our good shepherd? Does he not come personally to each one of us, looking for each one of us to see if we all have a heart in us for God so that he can anoint us with his Holy Spirit? We're told there are several gifts there in Revelation chapter 3 for the Laodicean people and the three angels' messages to be shared um, so that we can go forth shedding the light of God's love abroad. So, this all takes place they break bread, share some hospitality, and Samuel goes on his way. And now some chapters, well, some time goes by, and as was the custom back in those days, they would gather for war in the spring. And in this particular spring, the Philistines, who Joshua and Caleb and the rest had let live uh, in the promised land, hadn't cast them out, have now come down to battle. And these guys are the the military power of the day. They live in wild cities. They ride chariots. They have all kinds of weapons of war. And uh, for 40 days, 
the army of Israel and the army of the Philistines are encamped in the valley of Elah. And there's a creek in the middle separating them. And after 40 days, perhaps supplies are running low, Jesse sends the rent of the family with provisions for his older brothers who are gathered there in the army for battle. No mention is made of God throughout this chapter until David shows up. There's fear. And uh, the one byword for me, one of the bywords for me from this chapter is, if we focus on our Goliaths, whatever those problems are that we're facing, okay, we stumble. But if we focus on God, who tumbles? The Goliaths go down. And what are the Goliaths that you and I face? They can be financial. They can be physical. It can involve our loved ones. Um, whatever challenge we're, we're facing, whatever Goliath we have, whatever stronghold Satan has in us. Jesus tells the parable of the strong man and how the strong man has not only been disarmed, all right, but he's been taken prisoner so that we can spoil his house. If you look at that parable, it's recorded in three of the Gospels, um, he's talking about Satan now being a defeated foe. He has been bound by Christ. He is powerless, right? All power in heaven and earth is given to Jesus. And we are encouraged to go in and take the spoils. And what are the spoils? We've talked about it already today with all the people here on Cape Cod. What opportunities are there for us? And I'm looking forward to tomorrow, Charlie and Lori, helping to do that with the supper club, to break bread together, to share the light of God's love with our neighbors here on Cape Cod. Let's pick up the story in chapter 17 here. Take a look at where David, this teenager, is focused when he's brought to the front of the battle. He shows up with the provisions. And date, verse 26 in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, David speaks to the men that stood by saying, what shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy who? The armies of the living God. Plural. Does David see something by faith that maybe his brethren don't see? And his focus is on the living God. Not all the so-called gods as we discussed in Sabbath school today of the others. And so word gets out and... Uh, David is brought to Saul, and uh, what David said is taken right to the king. You ever think about that? What you and I say could be taken right to the king? And so the king could use us to gain a victory, not just for ourselves, but on behalf of others? Will you and I talk faith, believe faith, see with the eye of faith, despite whatever we're facing, So David comes into the presence of Saul. He's what? How old? Fifteen? He's, Goliath refers to him as a stick, as a twig. All right? He's got no muscle to speak of, no, no weight. He's a very young man. But listen to what David shares with, with the king Saul. Verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul says what? You're not able. Okay. 
Has anybody ever told you that? That's an invitation for you, by God's grace, to be able. Then David rehearses his personal experiences with the Lord in gaining a victory. Verse 36, he says to Saul, Your servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing that he hath defied who? The armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Now, I, I come from four generations in the military, okay? What must it have taken for Saul and the rest of the military to tell this 15-year-old boy, 17, 18-year-old boy, to go and represent them in the battle? How desperate must things have been? How desperate do things get for you and me? What kind of odds do you think Saul gave David? So here's a better question, friends. What kind of odds do you give yourself in the battle with your Goliath? May I suggest that with God, the odds are always in your favor. Victory has been won. Battles remain. Skirmishes will continue. But the war has been won in Christ Jesus. And so David, mm, nine times he mentions God. He only mentions the Philistine or Goliath a couple of times. Four times four, he's got four times the focus on God as he does on the enemy. How about you and me? Are you and I willing to focus, to have a God focus, so much so that it diminishes, if you will, the op whatever obstacle it is we're facing, whatever Goliath lies in the path of our life, whatever stronghold Satan has within us. So imagine this now. Goliath comes out, as he, his custom was, twice a day to taunt the Israelites. And who comes forward? The armies are arrayed in front of each other. And who comes forward? This little kid, this shepherd. And what does he do? He runs down to the creek. Right? We're told Goliath came out and David ran to meet him. How about you and me? with the challenges that you and I are facing. Will we, I'm not saying we should endanger ourselves, but can we by faith, right, relying on the promises of God, who is a promise maker and a promise keeper, he is the one that delivers on his promises, can you and I step forward to the battle that we're facing with faith, with hope, with courage, um, like David does here? Anybody remember playing in a creek when you were little? I grew up in the South. The only time I wore shoes as a little kid was when I was going to church. Maybe to school, I had a pair of sneakers, but we were barefoot running around in the woods and the creeks. I can remember looking at my reflection in the creek when I was little. It hasn't changed much in 60 some, <coughs> some odd years. Uh, but David's not looking for his reflection, is he? What's he looking for? Five stones. Why five? Anybody think about that? Who said that? Goliath has brothers. He has four brothers. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, I'm going to talk about the complete victory. We can go there later on. But yeah. Um, and he runs out to meet him. And look at, 
David's testimony in front of everybody now. Chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. The Phil- verse 44. The Philistines said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I, what? Come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. There it is again. Today. Friends, you ever think about today could be the day you get the victory? Wow. Today the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you and take your head from you and give you and your, your brethren to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. That all, Why? What's David's focus? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Praise the Lord. Mm, 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 mm. All this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Sometimes I forget that. The battle is, is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Wow. And then we, we know what happened here. David prevails. Wow, against all odds. And what does that do to inspire the rest of Israel? What does that do to discourage Goliath's buddies? Yeah. Can you and I set Satan and whatever it is on his heels? You know, we're told, resist the devil and he will flee from you in Christ because he knows in Christ we have, right, a tried and tested captain of our army, one who has gained the victory and won the war. Satan knows he is a defeated foe. So they rout the the Philistines. And then, verse 19, I mean chapter 19, Saul speaks to his son, who? Jonathan. Wow. Saul is about to try to kill David six times before David finally flees. But in the son of the king, David finds a forever friend. In the prince of the king, David finds a forever friend. Can you and I find a forever friend in the son of God? In the prince, right, of God, who will stand up for us, right? Um... Wow. Now, as this young man, Saul makes David captain of the armies. Now, if I'm a career officer, what am I thinking? I might have my doubts. Um, If God decides to put you in a position to serve, how should you and I serve? With fear and doubt or with, by faith, right? To be strengthened. Again, the battle is the Lord's. Hmm. So, David goes on, and Saul Saul just makes some bad choices here. Um, It gets to the point where David, after his, his soul is knit, Right with his brother, Jonathan, and they make a covenant together to look after each other's family if one of them should fall. Um, that David flees. He flees to the priests, to Samuel, to Jonathan, then to Gath, of all places, and eventually flees out to where he wrote the psalm that was read today and to the cave of Adullam. 
That's his refuge. Down by the Dead Sea, all alone in the cave with God. Have you and I ever had that experience where it seems like we're going to and fro, looking for help from friends, family, brothers and sisters in Christ, the pastor, and uh, it doesn't seem to help, but we can, praise the Lord, find a refuge in our Savior Jesus, even if we end up in a cave like David. It's there that his family finds him. 400 men show up with their families to join David out in the wilderness at the cave of Adullam. And uh, some interesting things happen out there. Twice, right, Saul was put in David's hands. Twice, David's men say, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now is your chance to take him out. What does Jesus encourage us to do with our en- to love our enemies, right? Pray for those that despitefully use you. David will not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. He knows that God will take him out in his own time if that's, if that's right. And by the way, now that Jesus has gotten the victory, who is the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth? Sometimes I wonder when I see all of the misbehavior out there. Who's really in charge? We have a psalm, Psalm 22. Anybody recognize that psalm? We mentioned it briefly in Sabbath school today. As Jesus builds this bridge of faith hanging on the cross, he's able to exclaim, the Lord rules all the nations. Does that that exclude any? All of them. Wow. That's something to consider that whatever Satan brings your way or mine to try and destroy us, God rules. He's prepared for it. It's not a surprise. He can overrule it, not only for our good, but maybe for the good of someone else and for his glory in eternity. Mm. I think of a stronghold in one person in particular. Um, Anybody remember the story of John chapter 4? Jesus is on a dry and dusty road traveling somewhere and he comes to a well. It's Jacob's well that he gave to his little boy, Joseph. And he meets somebody at the well. He meets a woman. And what's her Goliath? What kind of stronghold does the adversary have with her? Jesus encourages her, Go get your husband and we'll have a chat. She says, well, I have no husband. She's told the truth, but maybe not the whole truth. But Jesus praises her for telling the truth, right? He says, yeah, in that you said you have no husband, you've said the truth. You've actually had how many? Five. And the one that you're with now isn't your husband. And now she finally meets the seventh man, Jesus, the one who can answer all her questions, meet all of her needs with his self-sacrificing love. Have you ever been over the same old ground time after time after time? I can imagine her wanting to have a family, to settle down. You know, people were born, lived and died in the same village. How is it possible that she's been through five broken relationships and, uh, and everything that goes with it? She's at 
the well in the middle of the day. When, when did the ladies go for water? In the morning, in the evening. I could tell you stories about Iraq and Afghanistan and what sacred time that is for the women to go get water for their families. It's the only time they have to be alone with each other and to share things in confidence, and yet she's here in the middle of the day all alone. But how quickly does the Goliath in her life turn into a blessing? In this brief discussion with Jesus, and you see the day dawning on her. First, she just sees a guy sitting at a well. Then she notices that he's Jewish. Then she understands he's a prophet. And finally, right, the noonday sun clears the fog from her eyes and her understanding and her hearing, and she recognizes it's the Savior. This is the Christ. And what does she do? This woman who came out wanting to be alone does what? She goes running back to town, the people she wanted to get away from, to tell them the good news. How about you and me, with whatever Goliath you and I are facing, can God turn that around quickly and deliver us, give us victory over whatever that sadness or sorrow is that's been burdening, burdening us for so long and turn that into a blessing, again, not just for us, but for others. And what a blessing did that turn out to be for her town. They invited Jesus to stay. You think she was welcomed back as a, you know, one of the in people, one of the members now, reinstated back in the family of her town after that. She's unnamed. Wouldn't it be nice in testimony time on the other side of eternity to see her raise her hand and give her testimony and find out who she is? And will you and I, by God's grace, have that kind of testimony as well? All right. So David's out in the wilds. David's out in the wilds, and um, we're going to look at the story of another woman here whose family life turns uh, for the better here in, in 1 Samuel 25. David and his men haven't just been sitting idly by while they're living out in the wilds. Uh, what, have, what have they been doing? They have been protecting the people that live out in that area. Okay, these are men of war, well-trained, David is a captain. By the way, did David ever suffer, suffer a loss on a battlefield? I don't think that we've got one recorded, but there's an interesting thing there that we're going to get to uh, at the end. And so, David, it's the time for the harvest. David and his men have been protecting the farmers and the, the shepherds. And David sends representatives over to this guy named Nabal, a very wealthy guy, big landowner, asking for, to share in the abundance that God has blessed them with. And Nabal says, who is David that I should even regard him? Right. This enrages David to the point where what? What is David determined to do? Every one of them, men, women, and children, he and his 400 men saddle up, and they're on their way. Now, one of Nabal's servants has overheard what's, what's going on here, and he decides to go to the brains of the family. <laughs> he goes to Nabal's wife. So let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 25. Hmm. Verse 14. One of the young men 
1 Samuel 25, verse 14, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good to us and were not hurt, neither missed we anything, right? They protected us as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by day and night, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what they will do, for evil is determined against our master and all his household, for he is such as one of Belial, a man cannot speak to him. His name in Hebrew means churlish. It's a word you don't hear much anymore. Um, just doesn't seem to be a very nice guy. But look at what Abigail determines to do in a moment, in an instant. She's prepared when the trouble comes. She said to her servants, verse 19, Go before me, behold, I come after you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. And it was so as she rode on an ass that she came down by the covert of the hill, and behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. Now imagine this, okay? This woman has gathered provisions to take to David and his men. She, she is willing to risk her life on behalf of her family against 400 men of war. What kind of odds do you give her? As you and I war against whatever it is that the devil brings our way, what kind of odds do you give yourself? She assumes the role of a mediator here in a very beautiful and beauty encounters a beast and let's see who wins here. David... Oh. Verse 21, now David had said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that he had and he has requited me evil for good. So more also do God unto the enemies of David if I leave all that pertain to him by morning light anyone left. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet. And said, upon my Lord, upon me. Wow. Let this iniquity be. She's willing to take all of the blame, even though she doesn't deserve any of it. How about Jesus? Was he willing to take all of our blame, even though he didn't deserve any of it? Isn't she beautifully representing her Savior here to the saving of her family and to the deliverance of David from doing something that could Prevent him from assuming the throne if he was to wipe out a whole town, a whole family of fellow Israelites. Wow. Let thine iniquity be on me and let your handmaid, I pray you, speak in your audience and hear the words of your handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray you, regard this man, Abilial, even Nabal, for his name is so. The folly is with him. Verse 26, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood. She's assuming the best here, right? What are we told? A soft word turns away wrath. Wow. Mm. Now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now this blessing which your handmaid has brought unto my Lord, let it be given to the young men that follow my Lord. I pray you, what? Forgive the trespass of your handmaid. Do we not have a human being in the form of our high priest, Jesus Christ, now interceding on behalf of you and me in the presence of God in the sanctuary of heaven? 
asking for our forgiveness. We serve a God of more than enough, don't we? More than enough forgiveness for everyone's sin. Wow. There's a chapter in Romans chapter 5, much more. There's a bunch of times in Romans 5 where it talks about how much more God loves us. Um, She goes on to plead on behalf of David now that he doesn't do this to hurt himself. And David, verse 32, says to Abigail, what? He gets it immediately. You ever have somebody hit you unexpectedly between the eyes? You know, you're literally hell-bent on doing something and somebody says, no, don't do it. David gets it immediately. David says to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent, sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your advice and blessed be you which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. Wow. And David received of her and Abigail went home. Now does, does Nabal have any idea how close he's come to getting his whole family destroyed. Not a clue. As a matter of fact, he's on a drunken bender enjoying the fruits of his labor for the harvest. Wow. Mercy is still pleading with him. He might not even know it. And his wife has stepped into the void as a mediator, as an intercessor, as a rescuer. You know, God made Eve a helpmeet for Adam, and that word in the Hebrew uh, it can be translated rescuer. Um, she's rescued him. We know that Nabal goes on to pass away shortly thereafter. And what becomes of Abigail now because of her kindness, her wisdom, her love, her understanding, her willingness to sacrifice herself? What becomes of her? She becomes a bride of the man that will become king in Israel. What a gift for, for David, huh? Wow. Now again, do you think this was something that she could have dreamed up, that she could have planned, she could have foreseen coming? How about you and me? Are you and I ever surprised by the adversaries that we meet, maybe even among our own brethren like this? And the soft word turns away wrath, and the tables are turned, and in God's providence, her family is saved, and all Israel and David are blessed because of her. Wow. Wouldn't it be nice to meet her on the other side of eternity? So there's a lot more to go here. We can talk about the, the covenant that David made with Jonathan. After 20 years on the throne, David finally remembers, is there anyone left of Jonathan's family? And he's told, yeah, he has a son, but... He's crippled, and he lives across the Jordan River in Lodabar, that place of no pasture. Don't worry about him, Lord. And David says, I'm not worried about him. I want to do something else, right? Here's good news for you and me, friends. No matter where you think you and I are stationed in life today, we may be in the place of no pasture, right, in the fields of anonymity, forgotten, an outcast. But God remembers us, doesn't he? And David brings this cripple who has no legs to stand on, right? You and I are crippled by sin. We have no legs to stand on. Brings him into his home and tells him that now forever you are going to eat bread at my table. You're going to sit at the table with my sons. I'm adopting you into the family. Have we not been adopted into the beloved? 
in Christ Jesus, his princes and princesses. Don't we get to sit at the table as equals, right, with the Father and Son? Wow, amazing to consider. Um, and do you think Mephibosheth saw it coming? <laughs> One day God remembers you and me. And here's the neat thing in the family portrait do we ever lose our place in the family portrait? They take the picture, we're all there. We can, you know, the, the story of the prodigal son, right? You can never go so far away that you can't come back. You can never go so far away that you lose your place, right, in the father's heart and at his table and in his family. Um, one last thing about David as we close here, and this is bittersweet, it's sad. After all of this, his children grow up. We know what happens with Bathsheba. Um, David keeps silent through all of it. It's interesting, you read his story, he encourages himself in the Lord, he seeks the Lord, he talks about the Lord, but when it comes to his family, he's silent. And I'm, I praise the Lord for our church family here. It's so wonderful to see how you, got, you all serve each other, to serve alongside of you. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But when David comes to his end, whose arms does he die in? A stranger. They find a young girl somewhere in the kingdom and he dies in her arms. Um, nevertheless, a man after God's own heart. Let's make family first, okay? I know my kids spelled love, T-I-M-E, spending time with them. Let's spend time with each other and remember that uh, we can take assurance from all the ups and downs in David's life here as he faced his giants and was given the victory in Christ. Jesus has faced our giants and gives us the victory to share with others. Amen? Amen.